Well, we've spoken over the past couple weeks about what it means to abide in Christ and to bear fruit in his name. How we're called to abide in in Christ's love for us uh, and that the fruit that is born as we remain in him and trust in him is that we would become more like Jesus himself. This is the central uh, transformation and change that happens to us as God makes us his people. That as we rest and live in the covenant love that God has for his church, we become more like our Savior. Now, whether we recognize this or not, this is the kind of love we truly need. It's the kind of love we've been designed and created for. We're wired to look for it and to connect to others by it. Because God designed us this way. He made us this way. It's who we are at our very core. Because when you think about before all the universe was created, the Bible tells us that God existed himself in Trinitarian community. There was a unique fellowship of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we, as the people who are made in God's image, that this very same desire for fellowship and connection, that that's just as deeply ingrained in us. When Adam, the first uh, human, was created, all the world was perfect. Sin had not entered into the world. There was no brokenness to be found. And yet, him being alone was enough for God to say something is wrong here. Why? Because Adam was designed to love and to be loved by someone else to live his life amongst others. So it's no surprise that in our passage today, Jesus, in light of the call to abide in him and to bear fruit in him and to love him and to rest in his love, then takes that same thought and says the necessary conclusion to that then is to go and love one another, right? To live in a way that reflects his love for us. So it's really not a surprise then that he commands this. What does it look like? How does Jesus model this for us? How does he uh, do this and, and demonstrate this amazing love that we are to live out of? One way we see it, as he talks about it in this passage, is he sacrifices for us. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now it's not foreign for people to give up their life to save another. If you open up your newspaper, you'll read all kinds of uh, stories of this type of noble sacrifice, something that should be applauded and appreciated. But the reality is, is that for all mankind, we all will face death at some point. And while we're really encouraged and really blessed to hear stories of people who are willing to uh, uh, sacrifice their own life to save another, The reality is, is that's really just an exchange where you're shortening, one one person is shortening and sacrificing uh, some years of their own life to grant another person more years in theirs. But the reality is we're all delaying the inevitable. I know it's not the most positive thought to sit and, and think about, but that's the reality of human sacrifice for another. The difference with Jesus is this. We all as not just flawed, but sinful, broken uh, human beings. We deserve death. 
And death is going to be a product of the world we're in, the fall we have, the corruption and the stain of sin as it pervades throughout this whole life. But Jesus remained untouched by sin, perfect in every way. And so the reality is, is Jesus never had to die. Jesus didn't deserve death. Jesus uh, was never corrupted by the stain of sin. He's the Son of God, perfect in holiness and righteousness. So the reality is, and he says in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, because no one had rightful claim to take his life. So his sacrifice is different from the way we might sacrifice our own lives for our own children or for a good friend, because he's not just giving up years of life in his sacrifice. He's giving up eternity. He's giving, he gave up eternal life to give to us. This is the incredible sacrifice he makes to demonstrate his love. That's the extent that Jesus went to give his life, the generosity of handing over his life so we might have eternity. That's one way in which we see this love poured out for us in Jesus. The other way in which we see uh, this love is that Jesus befriends us. He befriends us. You know, have you ever had someone do something for you that was just amazing? It was an incredible favor. It was awesome, and it just was very helpful, and it changed, perhaps changed your life in some way. But then that person turns around and holds that over you holds that gift over you, holds that task over you, and says, now that I've done this for you, you are now in my debt, right? When this act of great generosity almost uh, puts you uh, in a position where you owe them in some way. What you thought that this person did uh, because they were your friend or even a family member has really instead made you a servant to them. It's a terrible feeling, right? You feel like you've been hoodwinked, that all these strings are now attached. Jesus does the exact opposite here. Jesus' Jesus's offer of love is the exact opposite. This is not his way. Instead, as he says in verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, "By my love allows me to call you and allows you to call me friends. That we, can, uh, that we enter into a friendship where I reveal all things to you. That which my Father has shown me, I show you now. Jesus lets us in. He opens his life up to us. Now, maybe you don't think that's a big deal, but it's something to consider. I love, um, I love watching documentaries about cults, which probably isn't the most comforting thing for someone to hear from a pastor. But I'm, I'm fascinated. I, my wife can, can tell you that I, I'm always fascinated to just learn how cults are run, uh, how they come to power, especially the leaders, how people fall under the spell of a leader of a cult. Now, it's a very sad thing, of course. It's a lot of brokenness, a lot of uh, abuse, and a lot of things that we surely don't uh, agree with and celebrate in any way, shape, or form. But it's interesting just to see how people uh, fall into these things because they're really not necessarily weak or stupid or anything naive necessarily. They're, they're simply people like you and me. And cults come in different forms. They have different sets of beliefs, rules, and leadership personalities. But there's always this one commonality I've noticed in every single documentary I've watched 
is across the board. Now, of course, cults are defined by the way in which they're high pressure, in which they uh, are coercive in the manner in which they operate, right? Terrible ways of, uh, of just really, and, and, and forms of abuse of um, try, trying to gather followers and, and frankly uh, do terrible things. But one of the interesting things is across the board, what you have in every cult are a set of leaders who pass off in every case a veneer of friendship without ever really opening up their lives. They never, they're able to get people to think that they are friends or that there's an intimacy there without ever truly revealing any actual parts of their life. Their stories, their history, their hopes, the things about them are never truly known. You never have any relationships that are open and real. And if we just even put aside cult leaders and you think about the major religious figures in history, you have Buddha, you have Muhammad, you have Confucius, right? All these different major leaders, they all have incredible teachings. They all have words of wisdom. They've left us rules and ways in which to live, things to follow. Yet, if you read all their writings and consider all the ways in which uh, they sought to gather followers or people in their lives, one of the things you'll never see is them welcoming people into friendship, into relationship, into love, a knowing love that reveals who they are, not just as wise people, but as people who are uh, human in their love for others. None of them actually let you in and truly know them, and therefore don't actually let you in to truly know God. With Christ, we see something drastically different from every single form of spiritual leadership in this world. Because in Jesus, we see God who opens himself up to his people. God who reveals all things. He doesn't hide things. He instead opens all things and reveals it to the people and then says, I welcome you into friendship. I welcome you into relationship. I want to be connected to you so you might know me for who I truly am because I know you for who you are because I've created you. And even more so in Jesus, I've redeemed you. And so... While all other forms of spirituality demand obedience in order to earn love, we see here in Christ, it is in giving his love that obedience reveals that we are loved by him. Following his commandments doesn't earn Jesus' love. Following his commandments reveals that we know we are loved by him. You know, have you ever shared something so intimate with someone that ends up being not received very well or misunderstood or even just cast aside or you've ever done something that's of great cost and sacrifice to you but the person doesn't properly understand or acknowledge it it's disappointing right it's hard there's a deep hurt and offense when that happens this is why refusing to abide in jesus the unwillingness to follow jesus is so offensive to God. Because God is not saying, here, here's a great teacher, I will send you Jesus. Here's a couple rules. If you follow them, great. If not, good luck. But what God did in, in sending his very own son is an offer of spiritual friendship, eternal love. 
And so rejecting Jesus is not just an intellectual turning down of an idea, and it's not just objection to uh, some sort of teaching, but you're rejecting an offer of friendship from God himself, his love for you. Sacrificial love that is perfect in every way. This is why the true vine, Jesus, doesn't just give us life, but he gives us actual life and makes us his friends. He gives us a relationship, a connection, an openness and an intimacy that you will not find anywhere else in any other path. And so it is in the sacrifice that Christ gives, or Christ does, and it's in this friendship that is offered in him that he demonstrates what real love is. And he calls us into that love so that we might be gathered by that love, that we might live within that love with one another. You know, when you look at a plant, you don't see each branch as a separate plant. You have to see the whole collection of branches as they're attached to a vine and say that's one whole plant in and of itself. This shared connection all these branches have to the vine make them single-minded in their purpose to bear fruit. That's what the church is. The church, as we see a vine and branches, the church is that gathering of all these branches being rooted in the same vine, gathered together, representing the one plant, the church of God, seeking to bear fruit and honor and glorify God as he's designed us to do. It's this gathering of beloved friends in Jesus. And so this, this challenges us. Christ giving his friendship to us and gathering us and, and rooting us in himself by his love. And as, it, as, that, as that calls us into the life of the church and to be the people of God, it challenges us in a couple of ways. First, it, it, it helps us to see that we all stand on equal ground with one another because we see in verse 16, it's Jesus who chooses us to love. It's not us who choose to love Jesus. We're chosen not because of any special inherent spiritual goodness that's within us. We're not chosen because of our uh, earthly talents or skills or resources. We're simply loved by Christ because he loves us. There's no other qualification that's there. And so if Jesus sees us in that way, then we are called in that same way as we bear fruit and live out of that love to love one another as he's commanded, that we are to see one another in the exact same way. That we have no right or place to hold ourselves over others or to consider ourselves better than others. Secondly, the other challenge, realizing that a friend of Christ therefore means that person is a friend of mine. Because when Jesus Christ makes us his friends, he makes us friends. He makes me and you friends. Because if bearing fruit means we become like Jesus, that means we have to love one another. That's the command that flows out of uh, that love that is at root in us. This is why relationships in the church are necessarily, and very often, they look different from those outside of it. Because if we're friends to one another, as Jesus has called us to be, and has made us to be, then sacrifice and intimacy and honesty 
is, is integral, is at the core of what spiritual friendship looks like. Tim Keller puts this in a very helpful way. He says that if you're willing to sacrifice for someone, but you're not willing to have intimacy, openness, and honesty with them, then you're really just a social worker. But if you're also, but on the flip side of that, if you're willing to open your life up or to allow your life to be open so others can share their own lives with you, but you're not actually willing to do anything to sacrifice for them, to be generous with them, to help them in their time of need, then you're just the therapist. And it's funny because that's how some people see the church, right? Some people look at the church and say the church needs to be involved in social work and needs to be fighting for justice and peace in society, and very much so. And for others, they, want, they see the church and say, well, the church needs to be a safe place for me to heal emotionally or mentally and to work through a lot of my problems. I need someone there. There needs to be a collection of people who are willing to just listen to me. And, and have their lives, have, have, allow me to let my life be open to them. And very much so. That's what the church should be doing. We should be doing both those things. But the church is not limited to those things. We do all of that and more because we are friends in Christ. This is the challenge we have as a church, as Grace Alameda. We want to be a place where people can encounter Jesus himself. That they can find his friendship through the friendship that we have with one another and that we welcome others with. We want to be a church that uh, removes all the superficial obstacles that keep people from sacrificing for each other or from letting others in. Writer Ian Olson uh, says this, Churches can have the parity of community that extends a welcome but never actually incorporates the invitation is pronounced, but you have to whittle away so much of yourself before you can even hope to be included. All too often in our churches, we have heard the importance of community and been promised this is a place we can call home, but the reality that batters our souls is that we aren't wanted. Our obedience, our vote, our face in the video, our money in the plate, certainly, but not us. Not us. Grace Alameda, we don't want to be this type of place. We don't want people to have to strip themselves of everything of who they are. We don't want people to have to uh, prove their worth to be a part of this community. But our desire is, so long as someone walks through this door, our longing is for them to know they are home. Our longing is to know that they are our friends. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the church we long to be. And I know in this time of shelter in place, it's so hard to consider or even wrap our heads around what that might look like. But we want to love people for who they are or who they will become in Jesus and for nothing else beyond that. And so if you've attended Grace for a while, if you're a member of our church or you've just been attending for quite a while and you've been enjoying these services and, and worshiping with us, I want to lay two challenges uh, out there. Maybe you're a member here and you love it and you feel like this is home. You are spiritually home at Grace 
You are loved here. You know that. Praise God. And I'm so glad you feel that way. I'm so glad you are welcomed in that way. So then the question, the challenge for you would be, what does it look like to help others to be just as loved and accepted as you are here at Grace? What would it look like to welcome people into that same world of friendship in Christ that you share with others, to be uh, another branch in the vine, connected to the same vine together here at Grace? What kind of sacrifice might that look like for you to make that happen? What kind of honesty and openness would, would that require for you to make that happen? Something to be encouraged and to think about. And maybe you're on the other side of this, and here's the second challenge. Maybe you're on the other side of this. You, you, you attend Grace. Uh, you've been coming for a while, but you don't feel settled. Or you, feel, you know and you feel like you've kind of just been in and out. You're on the outskirts. You're just trying to float in and out. And we understand that everyone's in different places spiritually. Uh, so there's no demands that are placed upon you because of that. But let me challenge you with this. Have you let people in? Will you let people in? Do you let yourself be known? Will you, will you allow yourself to engage in spiritual friendship, the kind that is rooted in Christ, to be loved by others in the way that Christ loves you? And conversely, are you entering into the lives of others? Are you engaging others and allowing, are you a place and a person that allows others to open up their lives to you? Or do you keep people at a distance? What does it look like for you to be sacrificial and to open up your life, to be available and accessible for others so that you might be able to love and become friends with them? You know, how we approach this question, how we answer this question for each and every one of us will determine what kind of church Grace Alameda is going forward. How much of this is rooted in Jesus? And what does it look like as we live in light of that, as we bear fruit that makes us more like Christ every day? The author Alan Jacobs writes this in closing, the only real remedy for the dangers of false belonging is the true belonging to or the true membership in a fellowship of people who are not so much like-minded as they are like-hearted. Grace Alameda is more than a place where you can share religious ideals or adhere, adhere to just one particular faith claim. It's more than just a safe place for your suburban family or a place where you can feel comfortable with, with the lifestyle that you desire to live in. But grace is a gathering of a people loved and befriended by Jesus Christ and who desire to love and befriend one another. As we abide in Jesus, as we bear fruit in him, let us love one another. Let us befriend one another as God has called us to, as we were designed to do. And let us continue in that, to gather in his name to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for being the God who gave his only son, 
not simply as a sacrifice that we uh, intellectually assent to, uh, a faith that we tell ourselves we must believe, but the God who also opens up the pathway to friendship and intimacy with you. The God who makes himself known, who reveals all things to us because we are not simply servants or slaves, but we are your children. We are your friends. We are your beloved. So that there is nothing hidden from us. Father, would you, in our hearts, help us to receive you every single day, your offer of friendship, your offer of love, that we would live out of that so we would then walk in your ways, obey your commands, that we would love one another in a manner that pleases and praises you every single day. Father, we thank you that all of this is only, only revealed to us and possible, made possible by your grace, by your Spirit. Empower us this day to live uh, in response to the sacrifice and friendship of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.